I have a question for you, Nat. Uh-oh. Because this James Bond, like, this is something you've been, you're super passionate about and have been ever since I met you. And so Stu likes watching the films and I like watching the films when I was a kid. But I guess the question is, why are you obsessed with James Bond? Because he's a monster. <laughs> like, what, what, a, what part of this storytelling mechanic made you go, yeah, I'm going to bind my donkey to this caravan? Because <laughs> it's so misogynistic. And it's so it's such a blokey storytelling thing, which objectifies women so much. What is it that made 14-year-old Natalie Bohensky go, oh, yeah, this is the movie character for me? Younger than that. Um, so you like Superman? Superman's the man. So I guess it's like that. Superman, though, is, is very Superman good. never did rape by deceit, though. Well, <laughs> <laughs> He's kind of um, known for it. <laughs> Well, not not necessarily the Henry Cavill Superman, as Stu has been uh, enlightening. <laughs> he apparently kills yeah, well, I wouldn't put it past him, but every, all the other versions. <laughs> <laughs> he likes Batman, and I guess you form these attachments in your early childhood or teen years based on what you're exposed to. I like the whole concept of the super spy. I guess that's where I come in with, with my pop culture thing. Like I never really read comics apart from Tintin and, you know, I wanted to become a journalist and, and did that because, you know, there was no way I could be a spy. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just know myself well enough. I'm just not that keen on the physical activity part of it. But, <laughs> but uh, look, it's a really interesting question because it does have outdated sexist stereotypes and in this case we could say racist stereotypes as well and in the, you know, You Only Live Twice one with the Japanese yellow face. But that stuff as an adult I can look back on and go, yeah, okay, that was not cool and problematic and we wouldn't do that now. Did you find it romantic? No, God, no. I, I'm, I've never – I like the odd romantic thing but I'm not – I, I shouldn't say I'm not girly like that, but I, 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 I don't really like what is normally termed, you know, chick flicks. I don't tend to watch a lot of those kinds of romance films. I like your Jane Austens and a bit of period drama, but not super, I don't know, I just like the adventure of James Bond. I love the world travelling aspect of it, the glamour of it, the casinos, the coolness, maybe because I'm inherently uncool. And James, <laughs> and, and this is the thing, I've never seen myself as, oh, I want to be like, and I, I always read interviews where they say, oh, every woman wants to have James Bond in her bed. And I'm like, I mean, sure, but I also just want to be James Bond. Like, that's just a cool action, life, shooting things, justice, on, always on the side of right, you know, mm. the aesthetic moral, <laughs> you know, okay, well. Always on the side of queen and country. The, the blunt instrument of a fading colonial power. Is it the British power. thing? Yes, yes. Because um, you like Blackadder a lot too. I, I, and you like your kings and queens and stuff. Is it, a, is it a monarchy thing? It's quite possibly a bit of an Anglophile thing because I love my British history. And that's, that's, that's England, but also Scotland, Ireland, Wales. That's that whole kind of islands area, uh, the British Isles and European history. But I, yeah, I think I just saw them a lot. My dad liked them. Uh, my dad and mum, it was kind of a family thing. We would all watch together and we would all, because we're all very immature, apart from my mother, obviously, but my dad and my brother and I would all be like, Woo! when he was doing something sexy with a lady. 
think that's why I remember that the, the zip and the dress so much from this film is it'd be like, oh, James Bond, oh, he's a lady, you know, and it's this sort of immature. I don't know. I do, I do tend to like a lot of things that I find a lot of other women don't like. Um, like me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Not a lot of women like me. Well, I do know that I probably in my late teens or certainly in my teens and, and, and early 20s, certainly in my teens I had a bit of the whole, oh, I like guys better than girls. I just like my guy friends better than my girlfriends. And that whole, you know, guys are just cooler and I'm kind of like cool like the guys, you know. Um, girls are just so, they just gossip. And uh, I, I did do a bit of that. And They've never shot someone with a shark gun and watched them inflate. and then made a terrible pun um but i didn't get here what was the what was the pun Stu? he had had a very inflated opinion of himself himself. but i never i never got into boyish things like sport and comic books and those kinds of stereotypical boy things i felt like james bond was kind of gender free for me because it had really cool chicks in it as well like there were always cool chicks in in James Bond, smart chicks and resourceful chicks. I probably shouldn't say chicks, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, you've, you've read the tone pretty effectively, I think. Yeah, man, there are obviously a lot who are, who are fighters, who are lovers, who are scientists, who are, you know, organisers. It, it just always had interesting characters. Clairvoyance. Clairvoyance, that's right. Um, so it, it always had interesting characters and yes, they all kind of, oh, James, but often they help save the day. So I, yeah, it is something that I reckon with because I do consider myself a feminist and I do feel like I have gotten over a bit of that. Oh, my guy friends better than my girlfriends as I've gotten older and realized it's all just bullshit. Um, you, you have friends and, uh, sometimes Girlfriends are much easier to talk to. Sometimes guy friends are. It's just the way of the world. You don't need to perform any bullshit to be friends with people if yes. you, it's not a good friendship. But it is true that I loved being, you know, I had a lot of issues, I think, in early days of impro where I quite liked being one of the few girls in impro. I quite liked that I had this skill that seemingly other women didn't have or want to have. I liked that I was, um, I didn't see uh, probably the same in radio too, Stu. You know how, you know, radio, certainly the station we worked at was a bit of a pit of sexist old misogynists. It, it can be a boys club at times, yes. Yeah, and I never saw myself as being constrained by that kind of thing until much later when I was out of it. And then you realise, oh, yeah, you are kind of talked over and you are talked down and you don't get to have a say and you don't get to push your case as much as, say, a guy would if they walked in. But I remember a couple of producers who worked both at the ABC and the radio station we did were saying, oh, it's such a boys club here. And I'd be like, really? Is it? And it's just you're in it. So. Yeah, you, you don't realise. Like, like, how does a fish know that water's wet? Yeah. And, and I never saw myself as I had all these grand plans to have an on-air radio show. And I was like, well, no one's going to stop me. I'm, I'm talented enough. I can talk as much as these bozos. And, and, I, and I was like, I was a 25-year-old woman, and of course I wasn't going to get anywhere with that <laughs> in that world. Other Voice world, too yeah, shrill. Probably. Too much <laughs> upward inflection at the end of every sentence. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> <But> <laughs> so I, 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 I do think about this a lot because I, I think I did fall prey to a bit of like, oh, I'm, I'm you know, a girl who can do things that other girls don't want to do, or particularly because I guess comedy 
it was always called a, a boys club and I like doing comedy, in, you know, not stand-up obviously because I'm not a malignant narcissist. But <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's gotten you in trouble before, Nat. Yes. Years ago. Years ago. They've forgiven me, surely. <laughs> the stand-ups. Um, no, I'm just I'm, – I'm, I'm teasing. Stand-ups are lovely people. But, yeah. Well, <laughs> I think sometimes you just like what you like and then you start to – it's such a part of you that sometimes things fall away and you realise, oh, I don't really like that anymore. Like, for example, I'll give you an example I was thinking of recently. I was obsessed with Madonna, loved Madonna, and I still love Madonna, but I haven't bought any of her albums for probably the last 10 years. I don't kind of buy her new albums and listen to them and get all obsessed like I used to. Probably the late 2000s was the last time. So sometimes things just fall away. I still listen to classic Madonna, of course, but I don't kind of keep up with new Madonna. So I guess there are things that you will always be with you when you come to look at your likes and your dislikes and then there are things that might come and go and then there are things that come for a time and then fall away. Does that like make Game of Thrones for six and a half seasons? <laughs> well. <laughs> like, like, like the collective pop culture consciousness and Game of Thrones. Yes. I wouldn't say me. I, I love Game of Thrones and I always will. And I've been trying to work out how to best sort of note that it's now been a year since it ended and what have we done. But then I keep – my YouTube playlist has obviously cottoned onto this because it keeps throwing up all of these videos, <laughs> angry, angry videos. Still angry one year later. Ah, they are literally, I could point you probably a couple of videos that were posted in the last week going, here's a storyline that was abandoned. There's this one guy who talks about, I think he's an Australian guy, and he talks about um, Benioff and Weiss as dumb and dumber. That's how he refers to them. And uh. he's angry and he's not entirely wrong in some of his arguments in the 10 minutes or so that I watched of this hour long <laughs> piece of YouTube uh, art he's not wrong but it's 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 obsessed people are still obsessed with it enough to make hour-long videos about why they were screwed out of the ending they wanted like that's definitely touched a pop culture nerve so yeah but but having said that by the same token I feel like Game of Thrones was the biggest pop culture property property on the planet up until its final episode, the, the second its final episode ended, at which point we all collectively decided, okay, we're done with that forever. Like, as, as culture, it has just disappeared. Flash in the pan. Yeah. Eight-year flash in the pan. An eight-year flash in the pan. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. I hope maybe we it could be revisited I don't know. I, I think what it what it did was it, it, it important the important thing that it did was it, it laid the groundwork for things like The Witcher, which doesn't exist without Game of Thrones. There's no way you make The Witcher as a TV show unless Game of Thrones has done the work. Do you think other fantasy shows will come, or do you think that was a flash in the pan that we I all think... we went through a collective? We all drank something in the water, and uh, there were some poppies from San Monique in the water, and we all stoned <laughs> for a decade. And yeah, and and got and because the thing about Game of Thrones is a lot of people criticised it because of its sexism and misogyny, and you know the way it it, it um, depicted women. And I always argued very strenuously against you know this. Yes, there's obvious stuff, but I would argue that that there's a reality to that world. It's a brutal world 
for everyone, the way men are brutalised is generalised torture and battle and all that kind of stuff. And the way women are brutalised is is through their sex and their, their, their being women. The fact that they're women, it means that they're treated badly and exploited. And I, I kind of respect the honesty of that. So I guess... And some days of the month, they just have a really big emotional change and burn a city <laughs> to the ground. I've grown out of loving... Uh, I should be condemned for that comment. <laughs> if, if I was on Smart Enough, Greg would have put me in my place and it would have worked fine. But you can't get, let me get away with that stuff because then I end up just sounding like a, <laughs> uh, like a piece of work. The, the the number of times Greg has said to me, I'm really worried about recording the podcast today because I'm just worried about Dan, that he keeps saying he's got something for me. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just, he just sometimes goes too far. <laughs> um, it's very sweet. Uh, <laughs> you have a nice dynamic <laughs> of mutual hate. Um, but I, I, I love strong female characters, but... I think there's a difference between like physical strength and all round ass kicking and then a more, a more general truth that, that not all women are ass kicking superheroes who can, you know, kick men down with a single punch to the face or like there's, there's, there's worlds in which that exists and is true. But in reality, the black widow, if you put her up against most of the other superheroes who have some kind of strange power, like she's not going to win. Just on a oh, sh- no, yeah, yeah. She, she would be crushed instantly. <laughs> she's, she's a, she, I can see her as a spy. But to be fair, so would Hawkeye. So, yes, that's, of course, that's right. Um, but I, I, I love female action characters. No dramas with that, but I, I kind of like women who are in these weird situations and have to kind of survive anyway. And I've said that before during Game of Thrones and, and, and I guess in, in Bond, you know, the 60s and the 70s were pretty rubbish sexist times for women. So it's not surprising that women were treated poorly and obviously women of colour treated worse. So that's the reality and that doesn't – I'm going to get myself into so much of trouble, but it, 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 that makes, it makes a certain sort of sense to me that if you have someone who's just – and it's one of the reasons why I probably find Halle Berry's Jinx character – one of the least interesting Bond women, like she's great, she's kick-ass and she's fun, but she's she's not, she's just Bond. Everything Bond can do, she's already done it first and better. So awesome, cool, but uh, yeah, that, that sound, probably sounds rude. I, I don't mean that because she's a woman of colour. I just realised, oh, God, <laughs> like she's, yeah, she's awesome, but she's Bond. And that's why I, I always kind of go, and Judy Dench is with me on this, that, that Bond shouldn't be a woman. And I, I kind of agree with that because mm. there's a certain amount of sexism or in the character as it was written, as it has gone through the films, as it has continued, there is that element. And, and it's like, well, what, what does a woman bring to that? If you want a great female spy, create great female spies. And I think they do that with, with a lot of the women they bring into the, into the roles. I don't have a problem with James Bond staying a male character. I know I don't know if that makes me weird, but that's that's what I think. No, I just, it's fair enough. <laughs> it's, it's fair it's, enough. <laughs> um, Dan has just popped something into our chat group. This, oh, this is, is a one of the um... from Stan. .com.au of the titles of Live and Let Die. Yes. Does that look like Roger Moore at all? 
they have really smoothed out his face. They really have. I don't know why. That kind of looks like Chris Hemsworth if he was shaved and mated with... Scooter from The Muppet Show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, look, it's it's not cool that he's just got a gun in Rosie Carver's face. Yeah, he's, he's shirtless <laughs> and pointing a gun at a black woman. Yeah, it's... You know, yes, it is a still from the movie, but, it, yeah, they could have picked any number of Literally it. anything else. Yeah. No, I'm looking at that picture too. Oh, no, sorry. No, that's uh, that's the Guardian website. That's different picture. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know, Dan. Does that answer your question at all? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I guess you've got to have something to cling to through your life, don't you? Like what do you what have you loved since you were a kid? And I've I've known you for half my life, and I probably shouldn't know. Not only do you know, but you actually gave me a copy of the book. Uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Hitchhiker's maybe? Guide to the Galaxy. Did you? But you already owned all those, didn't you? Yeah, but you got a free copy from somewhere, which is a real nice copy, like a special oh. print thing. It's a nice hardcover thing. And you went, who can I fob this off onto? <laughs> Dan will like it. And he did. I remember very specifically when I first knew you, Dan, that I had never read Hitchhikers and you agreed to lend me a copy, but it was like one of your backup copies that you were comfortable lending to me because you had your pristine originals. <laughs> it could not be touched. It wouldn't be so much the pristine original, but the copy that I got signed by Douglas Adams, who oh, is yeah, no longer no, with us. Um, yeah, that's quite valuable. That has already survived a house fire. Oh, God. Was it the cause of the housewife? <laughs> no, not this time. <laughs> but the spine is, like, all melted, but it's still oh, got really? his signature in the on the front page. What uh, other author signatures do you guys have? Uh, a couple of Terry Pratchett's, but they're worth, like, 20 cents each. I know. I was about to say, I've got a couple of Pratchett's too, but, like, he would sign, like, for, for hours and hours. I got wish to, I had a George R. R. Martin that time that I met him and hosted a, a, a speaking thing with him at Supernova. Mm. Got Tony I, Martin? I do have Tony Martin, thanks to you, Dan, because you gave me a copy of the book that he um, he signed. God, that was a good day. When was that? That, that, was, that, a, that was an embarrassingly long time ago. Yeah, it was like 10 years ago maybe, and we all drove down to Byron and um, for the Writers' Festival where Tony Martin was appearing. And then we sat in the front row and we're like, it's Tony Martin. <laughs> and then, like, I approached him afterwards. It was, like, creeping up on him, going, hello. I think what happened is he was approached by other people and we were just standing to the side, all just staring and grinning at him and grinning at each other and then grinning at him and grinning at each <laughs> yes. other. And he was like, <laughs> Doing how that do intensely I awkward thing. disarm this awkwardness? I guess <laughs> I'll just approach these people and thank them for coming. It's um, <laughs> And we giggled a bit. Yeah. But isn't it nice when you actually do meet, you know, a personal um, favourite person of yours and, and they are actually very nice? And uh, not a cock. Yeah. It's good. It's really I could good. tell stories. Oof. Of who? Oh, look, I, 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 it's still recording and I've got at least the discretion to not <laughs> drop James Valentine from the afternoon show into it. <laughs> that would be that would be libel, right? <laughs> Slander. Yes, I think it's libel yeah. when it's printed. Libel when it's written, slander when it's spoken. 
Well, I met Terry Pratchett once as well, but it was totally by accident because I was at the Sheraton in Brisbane for a photo shoot. No, not the Sheraton, Stanford, um, for an interview or for a conference or something was there. And then I walked past the courtyard and there's this man all dressed in black with a hat and a grey beard having his photo taken. And I went, that's Terry Pratchett. <laughs> and um, and I, I wandered out. It was a, it was just a journo out there and the photographer taking the photos. And I went, hey, um, that's Terry Pratchett. And he went, yeah. And I went, that's amazing. Did you just interview him? Because I'm, you know, fellow journo kind of thing. And he went, yeah, do you know him? And I went, yeah, man. And he said, oh, I wish you'd been here when I was doing the interview. <laughs> <laughs> And so I went up and I introduced, I said, you might have introduced myself. And so I did. And at that time, this is how long ago this was, um, Greg and I were trying to convince the uh, arts theatre up the road to do The Truth as the next, ah, was, right. do a Terry Pratchett play every year. And we were trying to convince them to do The Truth, which is the one um, about news media in the Discworld. And uh, I said, look, do you mind like writing a note so I can take it to the board <laughs> to convince them? Because they wanted to do something else. And so he wrote uh, on a notepad for me, like, try the truth. It really works, Terry Pratchett. <laughs> and I wish I'd kept that note. I have no idea where it is. I think I showed it to you. You didn't keep the note? I don't know. Maybe I did, but I've never found it again. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Bad person, am I? Um, is this still the podcast? <laughs> I mean, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll cut it out. Make extra bit. <laughs> this then becomes extra content, yeah, absolutely. <laughs>